actress Jessica Alba and NFL quarterback Andrew Luck share a similar story. They walked away from doing what they loved. What defined them? What gave them their identities? In 2008, Jessica Alba decided she was done with Hollywood and left acting at the peak of her career. The birth of her daughter, Honor, pushed her to pursue a new direction, away from the Hollywood spotlight. Her mother had developed cancer early in life, and Alba had dealt with chronic illness, being hospitalized as a child and undergoing five surgeries before the age of 11. She knew the impact of living with health issues. And the thought of subjecting her daughter to products with potentially harmful chemicals greatly concerned her. Alba did not want Honor and other children to grow up dealing with similar complications and struggles. So she took action, with the hope of bringing a meaningful change to millions of people around the world. With her new daughter at the forefront of her mind, Alba started The Honest Company, a wellness brand which specialized in safe, chemical-free products for the home and family. On her site, Alba said she created the company because she believed you shouldn't have to choose between what works and what's good for you. Andrew Luck entered the NFL as the number one pick in 2017. He was regarded as a generational player and was seen as becoming the next Peyton Manning for the Indianapolis Colts. Manning was a starting quarterback for 10 years in Indianapolis and eventually won a Super Bowl in 2007. And Colts fans and football analysts believed Luck's leadership and talent would result in at least one Super Bowl win during his promising career. However, like Manning, Luck suffered a series of injuries that kept him on the sidelines for a season. At the end of 2017, he tore his right labrum in his shoulder. He played through the pain in 2016, but after the season ended, Luck desperately needed surgery to fix it. And that meant missing most, if not all, of the games ahead. Luck pushed himself to get better in time to come back and play part of the 2017 season. But his doctor broke the difficult news to him. The shoulder would only heal with time. The recovery process was often painful, but the mental anguish of not being able to play stung the most. He began to see a therapist, who bluntly asked him one day, Aren't you more than a quarterback? The thoughts spun in Luck's mind over the rest of the year. He did not want to let his fellow players down. He did not want to let the fans down either. But for the first time in a while, his view of himself and of the world around him started to widen again. And maybe there was more to what he wanted than being a quarterback. He returned to the team for a dynamic 2018 season, throwing 42 touchdown passes and taking the Colts to the playoffs. But while his shoulder was feeling better, he had tweaked his left foot and ankle. The issue with his foot lingered during the second half of the season. Approaching the 2019 season, Luck felt like he was back to the hamster wheel of rehab. He once again felt the pressure of returning to health the guilt of letting down his team, and the frustration with his own body and the chronic pain he endured. The question his therapist once posed, aren't you more than a quarterback, rang differently in his ears. 
In the interim, he had gotten married and was then expecting his first child. And he could feel his life tugging at him excitedly and pulling him in many different directions. For the first time, he wanted to pursue all of it. He wanted to lean into the more that was awaiting him outside of the NFL. Three weeks before the 2019 season began, Andrew Luck, only 29 years old, announced his shocking retirement. He returned home to become a stay-at-home dad to his daughter, Lucy. In the fall of 2022, he continued his education in the graduate program at Stanford University. And this year, he accepted a part-time position coaching football at the Palo Alto High School. Generally, when someone steps away from a role that helped to define them, it's often a surprise. But as you can see from the stories of Jessica Alba and from Andrew Luck, there are a number of reasons for doing so, many of which are life-changing or life-preserving. Sometimes our purpose for living becomes clearer. Sometimes those around us help to show us the importance behind a change. And sometimes it's as simple or as complicated as the question, are you something more? And sometimes a Star Wars fan who has been collecting memorabilia from the films and series for decades decides to hang up his Jedi robes, put down the lightsaber, and say farewell to the galactic relics he accumulated over the years. This is the story of a 30-year collector who sent his entire collection to the Hakes Auction House. This is a conversation with friend and collector Tad Moore about his momentous decision. This is a search for an answer as to why someone would sell everything they spent a lifetime acquiring. This is a brilliantly thoughtful and enlightening response to that important question. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. collector Tad Moore announced on social media that he had come to a life-changing decision. After 30 years, he had decided to stop collecting memorabilia from Star Wars and other major properties, and had partnered with Hakes Auction to sell off everything. Hakes, a Pennsylvania-based auction house, would include Tad's myriad comics, prototypes, and production toy-related items in a series of future auctions, with bidding for the first catalog sale ending on November 14th and 15th. When I heard the news, 
I was completely surprised. Getting to know people like Tad over the years, you truly believe they're going to be around in the community and collecting for the rest of their lives. For most of us, collecting is more than a passive hobby. It's something that seems to be hardwired within us. It's sewn into the very fabric of our DNA. And since the birth of social media, the larger collector's conversations in the community seem to run continuously, 24 hours a day. A discussion that begins in person carries over into the realm of social media and picks up where it leaves off the day before. And we're all a part of it, wherever we live, because we're connected by our love of Star Wars and collecting. We love the history, the designs, the details, the finds, the reveals, the elements that have kept this hobby exciting and revelatory for almost five decades. We love being together, going to conventions and shows and meetups together, and experiencing new and old Star Wars stories side by side. So when Tad announced his retirement from collecting, I had so many questions for him. But above all others was the simplest one. Why? What pushed him across the line to make that decision and to make it official? Was it that he lost his love for collecting? Was it a larger financial decision? Did he, as an accumulator, lose himself along the collecting journey? Did he veer into the dark places of addiction that sometimes trap even the best of us? I want to be clear. None of the questions I just posed were based on anything I knew about Tad previously. The fact that he was quitting collecting was such a shock that I let my imagination run free as I attempted to fill in the gaps in the hopes of understanding what was happening. And I was curious, because he was doing something that all of us have at least considered at one point or another. I know I've tried to envision what my life would look like if I suddenly stopped collecting and sold off everything. And that is still a very murky image, because I've been collecting for the majority of my life. I still enjoy it thoroughly, and I still love connecting with other collectors. But I wanted to hear Tad's story. I wanted to make sure he was doing okay. And I wanted to understand what led to this life-changing decision and what it meant for him and his path for the future. And I thought you'd be curious to hear Tad's story in his own words. A few quick notes about Tad. He is incredibly thoughtful, incredibly passionate about collecting, and I think his journey will resonate with you and me. Tad is a collector's collector. He appreciates the details that make our hobby so interesting. He gets it, and he gets everything about it. He will always be a collector at heart, even if he doesn't purchase another Star Wars item to bring into his home. I'm so excited to speak with Tad, and I'd love for you to join us. I'll go get him now. In the meantime, find a cozy spot for a conversation and pour yourself your favorite fall beverage. Let's get to know Tad a little better and find out why he decided to sell off his entire collection. (laughs) 
So Tad, thank you so much for uh, for taking time to sit down with me and to talk to me about this amazing event that's happening in your life uh, and and your your years of collecting. Um, if you were to introduce yourself to another collector, how would you do so? Man, that's a good that's a good question. Um, well, I've been collecting a, a long time. I think uh, I tend to run the gamut. I would say. Um, I think a lot of times in collecting, people get put into a specific bucket. Um, you know, whether that be like vintage stuff or comic books or even eras. You know, I only collect Golden Age or Silver Age or art or modern or whatever. But I've kind of touched on like everything. Um, there's stuff in my collection from pre-production to original art to. Um, like statues and busts of baby Yoda, you know, like, and everything in between. So, um, I, I feel like I, I appreciate a pretty wide swath of collecting. So, um, I guess that's how I would introduce, like, I find it fascinating for whatever you're collecting. Like I, I like hearing about whatever you're specifically into. Um, cause I find it interesting just kind of across the board. By hearing about all these different lines, do you feel like you're you're learning about new items and, and getting a feel for the collecting world in general? Um, what do you mean? Like, do you mean? Uh, I mean, I'll, honestly, I think some of it is just because I have a very hard time focusing. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so like everything does, I'm something new and shiny comes out and I'm like, Oh, that is kind of cool. And I can appreciate that. Or, um, and then I'll kind of go down the rabbit hole and want to learn all about, you know, statues or busts or three and three quarter inch figures or a modern one or, um, comic books or variant covers or anything like that. So I think a lot of it is just my kind of personality where it's not, I have a, I have a terrible, uh, time trying to be disciplined, I guess is the best way to, to put it. So I, it's super easy for me to get into something. Okay. And it sounds also like you have a natural sense of curiosity as well too. And as you know, I mean, there's so many different collectibles, you know, besides Star Wars figures and, and Star Wars items that, um, it is very easy to fall into these rabbit holes and to, to follow them and to, to exhaust them essentially. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like anytime anybody, you know, that outside of that sort of world asks me or gets to know me or they're, you know, like, oh, I heard you're, you like Star Wars or something. And they're always say, well, like, I have a buddy that likes that too. And you have to sort of give them the disclaimer of like, well, what, you know, <laughs> like, what do they like? Because they could be into like the 501st or they could be into just the novels or they could be only into action figures from 1995 to 1997 or just movies or just to, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that um, there's so many different factions in collecting that, you know, the outside people just sort of lump us all in together as one large sort of population, but it's very much a fractured um, kind of ecosystem we all live in. It's it's like different countries within a continent, you know, where the, there's totally. a, the H one has its own culture um, its own designs and styles. And, and it, it really, I think it really, you know, when you step back, like you did, uh, when you step back and, and you're able to appreciate an, an, you know, entire lines and entire ways of, of collecting and, and all the, the different kind of cultural groups, you know, with the, um, 
or the, or the cultures around, you know, the different groups like poster collectors and people who collect uh, the gentle giant bus and, and those who collect comic books, like there are a lot of similarities, but then there are a lot of things that make each one really unique. And, and you're right. It, it's, it's, I find it thoroughly enjoyable. I love being in all these different groups and learning as much as I can and just kind of seeing what people find to be compelling or rare or why people collect certain things too. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what types of items do you, and I know you said you have a large, you know, a large kind of spread as far as um, the items that you have had over the years, but w- which ones do you tend to focus on? Um, I feel especially the last probably eight to 10 years, it's been much more about um, like the old recapturing your childhood. So um, vintage things. And then you like the natural progression is you, you sort of rekindle what you had when you were a kid or the memories you had when you were a kid by getting an item or, you know, reminiscing about something. But then you go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, the first time you click on the collector's archive and then you're like, that's how they make that. And um, there's all these steps involved and all of these guys (laughs) know all of these like sculptors that, you know, and then you start to learn about just bizarre facts that you had no idea that you were ever going to learn about like carbolon and acetate (laughs) and, you know, like that kind of a thing. And and it's, it's pretty fascinating. Like it makes you appreciate, um, like, even if I'm in the toy store or something with a kid, like one of my kids, it'll be like, I'll see a toy on a shelf and I'm like, Oh, there's a lot of stuff that sort of went into that before my kids playing with it off of a peg. Um, so that's been kind of interesting. And then I would say too, like, um, very much smaller scale, um, like the appreciation for the production of the, like the movies and TV shows. So like, I have a very small, um, you know, few items of like, uh, movie props, like, a you know, small death star tile or things like that, where you're like, you kind of appreciate the behind the scenes of, of what goes on, um, is sort of the next natural progression. Um, but yeah, I would say definitely like the past several years, it's been much more about just the reminiscing, I guess, is the best, the word for it of just, you know, what you had when you were a kid. And, you know, I was, um, everybody says the same thing, but like we were super poor when I was a kid. So like Star Wars toys were few and far between. And, um, so it was like, it's pretty cool now to, you know, get something that I was like, I never even had a shot at this thing when I was a kid. And even it's like, even just super basic, um, three and three quarter inch action figures, you know, like we had, I'm, when I was a kid, me and my brother and my sister would, uh, like, I think we only had like six or seven action figures, like between us. And they were kind of the community pool of, of toys. So we would like line them up and have essentially like a fantasy football draft. Like we would all take turns picking (laughs) which one we were going to play with and go like round Robin. But, um, and we cherish those things because, you know, there, there was only a handful of them. So now, it's very cool to be like, Hey, I always wanted this one when I was a kid, but it's cool to see it now. And, um, yeah, that was quite the rambling answer, but, but that's where, that's, I think where I'm at, especially now. Well, yeah. And I think you said a number of really important things in there. Um, one of which is 
the way that we collectors tend to collect, we, we first we first go back to the items that we had as children, right? So that nostalgia pulls us in. And then, um, and so we accumulate items like that if we don't have our, our childhood ones. And then from there, we go deeper, as you said, you know, going on to a place like the Star Wars Collector's Archive or, you know, some of these groups where we see um, items and some of the pre-production stuff and things where, the you know, learning about the sculptors and learning about how the, the process worked for creating these toys. And then from there, we delve into rarer and more expensive stuff, original art and um, things like even like movie props where we're now going behind, like before this, we were going behind the scenes of how a toy was made. And now we're going behind the scenes of how a movie is made or a, a TV series. And then, and it sounds like your trip kind of went full circle. Whereas, as you said, you've now been shifting more toward back to the nostalgia of, of what you had either as a child or had wanted as a child uh, in the last eight to 10 years. Yeah, for sure. You know, and even along those same lines, like the, the, I think the, I think like many people anyway, the sort of the catalyst for this collecting mentality um, was the power of the force Two. when I was, I was a freshman, maybe a sophomore in high school when like I went into a Walmart and we saw all the toys on the, and immediately we were like, this is like we were a kid again. But I, you know, at the time I was like a dishwasher and I actually had a little bit of cash on me. And I was like, yeah. I could totally buy these. And I'm sure they're going to be worth millions of dollars someday. And <laughs> um, like, I still have just like a closet full of Power of the Force 2 figures. And they they bring back um, very similar, if not just as strong, um, like feelings of nostalgia and memory as the original toys did. Because it was just a different... You know, like I remember getting the Lee's Toy Fair magazine or Toy Review magazines. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you would flip to an article. And I remember there was this one article and it was all about this man. And I'm going to forget his name, but um, he was a collector at the time. And it was he wrote this article about this work trip that he took where he had to drive all through like um, I want to say it was the southeast part of the country, like from Florida to Texas or something. And he was chronicling like he stopped at all of the super backwoods like walmarts and kmarts at the time to find all of the power of the force um two toys that nobody could find so there was this picture of him with like all of the leias and everybody wanted that leia but no one (laughs) could ever find it and i remember thinking like man someday i hope i have a job where i get to go on on a road (laughs) trip and go to like random walmarts in the middle of nowhere because the people out there don't collect yet and you know um like i still get all those feelings from that kind of stuff too for sure if you could if you could just sit your 7-year-old or 12-year-old self down today and have a conversation with them about how far you've come in your own collecting journey and the types of items that have passed through your hands that you've owned what do you what do you think you as a as a young child or a teen or tween would say Man that's a that's a really good question. I don't think <laughs> I don't think young me would understand or uh or even it would be hard to explain um, like having so many items that were just, you know, and I, I mean, this will probably go around Robin as to why one of the reasons that I decided to get to part with it, but um, like having so many items that would be cherished by people and you at this point, you just sort of lost the feeling for, you know, like seven year old me having one Darth Vader toy 
would be ecstatic where I'm like looking at a shelf of Darth Vader toys and I'm like, uh, they're kind of dusty, you know, like I, I need to, it's just another chore to deal with. I got to clean this up a little bit. Um, so that, that would be a hard conversation to have is like, Hey kid, <laughs> you know, like that, you know, the, the Han Solo you have that's missing the head, like that you think is the greatest thing. Like that's going to be so like down and out to me. I'm not even going to care about it in a few years. I'd be like, yeah, just crushed. Oh, and, and that makes sense. And, and, you know, I mean, our, our interests do change. And as you said, like at the time you didn't have money, you didn't have a job. It, you started to, uh, you know, as a dishwasher, but even before that, like as a child, you didn't, you just, you don't have the money to pay for these items. So each piece in a way is like a dream piece. And then oh, yeah, when you totally. do have, you know, when you're an adult and you do have, uh, you know, an income coming in and you're able to, to spend, um, a little more on, on these types of things and to get pieces, um, like, you know, ones we'll talk about soon, but, uh, prototypes and original art and, you know, these beautiful carded figures. Um, it's very hard. I, I like, I was trying to think of what, what would, what would my 10 year old self say, you know, if I were to sit down and to say like, Hey, here's some pictures, like, this is what I have, you know? Um, right. Yeah. It would be a very interesting and probably confusing conversation. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. So before we go into your early days, because I want to hear about how you started collecting, um, what are some of your hobbies or interests outside of collecting? Um, so I live in the mountains in Arizona. Um, like when people think of Arizona, they think of, you know, the big metropolitan area like Phoenix. It's, you know, 110 degrees in desert and all that stuff. But I actually live uh, up in the mountains at 7,000 feet in a like the world's largest ponderosa pine forest. So like we really like mountain biking. Um, I really like, uh, like weightlifting, um, things like that. I used to do martial arts, although I am embarrassed to admit that I have let that go, uh, pretty, pretty significantly the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, I would say that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, between work and family and all of that, that's, that takes up significant portions of your life and for good reason. Um, but outside of that, I really do enjoy. And when I say mountain bike, like I'm the world's worst mountain biker, (laughs) like, like don't get in your mind that I'm going off of jumps or everything. Like I just have a good mountain bike because I'm old and I need it to really be squishy. (laughs) And like, I go super slow and on pretty (laughs) well-groomed trails and just enjoy the, like the trees and the scene and the, you know, the mountains and stuff. So I'm not any sort of like, um, extreme bike mountain biker and i've mm-hmm. never shredded the narnar um <laughs> it's just uh it's much more of a slow pace just getting out in the woods kind of a thing okay but the takeaway from that for me is that you stay active you're connected you know to your to your family as well too and and your work is probably pretty demanding um but you find time yeah. to get out into nature and you also find time to uh to stay fit and to exercise um, I, I try, I try. <laughs> one of the things that I've seen, um, from you over the years is that you have a real interest in music as well too, and that you hit up, uh, a number of concerts, Metallica and, you know, bands like that. And, and that's, I've always associated you with, with, uh, live, live music for some reason. So right on. Yeah. We, um, definitely would love to do more, but, um, yeah, my wife and I really do enjoy music and whenever we can get away for a concert, we try. Do you and your wife share the same interest in in the same style of music, or like do you have a, a favorite a favorite band or a favorite singer musician? 
Um, no. <laughs> we, we, so there is a pretty good overlap because we, we grew up in the same generation. But um, like most middle-aged males these days, I'm very much into hip-hop, like going through a midlife crisis, and she's not into that. Um, where she's very much the much like the more sophisticated, she really enjoys like jazz and um, all the stuff that I don't nearly okay. have the understanding of that <laughs> sure. that she does. Um, but but there's significant like so we're actually high school sweethearts, so we've known each other forever. So we like she bought me my first Metallica tape for Valentine's Day in junior high. So like we have that in common, and um, we do like a lot of the same music. But there's there's a pretty good spread these days of, of um, differences in opinion on music as well. So you guys were junior high school sweethearts or did you start out as friends and then start dating in high school? Not seventh grade. Wow. Um, and then she broke up with me for this other guy. <laughs> and then uh, we, we were friends the whole state friends the whole time. And then in uh, high school um, we started dating again and the rest is history. Wow. Congratulations. That, that's a beautiful story. I love hearing uh, those early relationships that form. Uh, and those are really special. So I'm, I mean, I'm glad you guys have gone through the decades together too. Um, right. What would, if, if you could just close your eyes and just, you know, appear at a concert tomorrow, what would that concert be? Um, can it be like any concert of any era or does it have to be uh, somebody that's alive or um okay I'll, I'll 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 give you two so um one is any concert of any era and then the second one would be you know t- uh, one that where you know they have to be alive and it has to be today this week right on um any era i was always a big led zeppelin fan always have been um and unfortunately they were sort of before my era um so i would absolutely love to see just an epic Led Zeppelin um, concert from their prime. Um, and then as far as today, that's a good one. Uh, man, I would love to go to a Wu-Tang concert. So go into your early days. Um, how long have you been a collector? Um, so since 95, um, right when Power of the Force 2 came out, like I didn't collect anything in any way. And then... I remember walking into like we at the time uh, I live in a pretty relatively small town. Like I think our population now is like 70,000 people. But when I was a kid, it, it was much less. And we had one Walmart and I remember walking to that Walmart and like just happened to be walking by a toil. And there was that whole just section of reddish orange that jumped out at everybody. And I was like, what the heck is this? And, um, like grabbed as many as you know, I counted the money I had and did the division. And then it was, you know, I can get five of these right now. And which five am I going to get? And looking at the back and trying to figure out which ones I was missing and um, which ones I would need to try to hunt down and all that stuff. But definitely since 95 um, was when it really, and then uh, like everybody, the it kind of wax and wanes um, through the years, you know, sometimes you're really into it. Sometimes it's like, uh, in bins kind of tucked away that you don't really pay attention to as much, but, um, but definitely since then. And it sounds like you had the, the full collector experience in one moment, you know, where you saw something new, um, you had to figure out what you could afford. You're looking at, at the back of the card back to see what else is out there and either what you're missing or what you're going to get one day. Um, yep. 
So, so you started with that. It, it sort of waxed and waned over time. But um, do you remember the first, maybe the first piece you purchased um, that maybe wasn't at a retail outlet? You know that that you either had to purchase online or through um, like a Lee's Guide or something to that effect. Man, that's a really good one. Because um, it would have been very much later. Because um, again, this is a it's a small town I live in, so there wasn't any you know, shops that you could go to, there wasn't any, um, like collector clubs or anybody you could talk to or network with. It was pre-internet. Like we didn't have a computer. We didn't have, um, you know, access to anything like that for other outlets. So it would have been much later. Um, and it absolutely would have been an eBay purchase because I, um, went there first once it's, you know, you realized you could buy stuff on eBay. Um, and you know what? I, I want to say that it was like a, uh, Obi-Wan power of the force two variation of some kind. Like I want to say it was one of the, um, I never had the, like the short saber in the long tray. Um, but you know how you could go down the rabbit hole of like the half picture, full picture, um, all of that. It, I feel like it was one of those that, uh, that, I found on eBay and I was like, Ooh, I didn't know this was a thing and grabbed it. And so it would have been like probably at the time, like 10, it probably would have cost more to ship it than to, to actually <laughs> buy the toy then. Okay. Um, but I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it was one of those, something along those lines. But it's nice. It sounds like you're still in the same vein where you've collected the production figures that you found at retail. And then you were able to start to look for the variants, which is a lot of times what we do as collectors, um, whatever's coming right. up next and some of the harder stuff to find, even if it's not, as you said, shipping is probably more expensive than the actual figure itself. Right. Totally. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. So then going from there, what were the early days of collecting like for you? Like, do you remember for me, one of the, the memories that I have was just total excitement over almost anything that I would see because so much of it was new. Did you have that or was it a, a different experience for you? Oh no, absolutely. Like anything that came out, like I, I remember the, um, end cap at Walmart with like watching the guy put up green carded figures. And I was like, Holy cow, there's more like, like there's a whole other, um, thing. Like I, I had only thought that there was those first, um, what was it? Eight or 10, 12, um, I think that you, 12. And then you just, um, I remember the group, like anytime, anytime something new came out, I'd be like, wow, that's a new thing. That's a new ship. That's a new whatever. And just totally excited. Um, and then I can remember too, at, uh, God, I would have been in college, like early college. And, um, I had like my first credit card and like a complete idiot, like every young person with a credit card, like you don't understand. It's like, Hey, that's something, that's something you have to pay back. Right. Like it's a, it's credit. It's not just a voucher. Um, but I was at a, the, our mall had one of the KB toy stores and there was that point where like every KB somehow just had piles and piles of clearance. Yes. Power of the force stuff. So like I walked out of that joint with like five bags of ad and bikers and oh for speeder bikes and, Cause I was like, I've never even seen these before. And they're all of a sudden on clearance and put it all in a credit card. And then realize later, like, Oh man, I should probably work more hours now. Cause, <laughs> cause I gotta, I gotta pay this thing back. But I remember just being ecstatic, um, when new stuff would come out. So a lot of the collecting then really happened for you at retail first. And that makes sense. I think, you know, a lot of people hearing this conversation 
would would maybe forget too that at that point, I mean, we're, we're so far removed from the idea that internet didn't exist, but it really didn't. So you weren't getting um, a ton of of information and news on when stuff would be dropping. You know, we, you would just go to a store and you would see this stuff come up. And, and sometimes, as you said, you wouldn't even see it when it was there. You'd see it later on in clearance. Oh yeah, totally. Like there was, there was no information. Um, it was all just surprise. I remember too, you know, you would uh, start to notice things like you'd be like, Hey, this one has a sticker and this one doesn't. And um, why does this, like, why does this green card have a foil sticker, but this other one didn't have it. And, um, this one was on our orange card and then the one next to it was a green card. And yeah, it was, it was completely by like your own just happenstance and not by like any sort of networking or research. Cause there was nobody here. Like there was no, there was no shop or comic shop or, um, I mean, we had a couple of comic shops when I was a kid, but they were, they were very much just comics. Like there weren't any, there weren't any other sort of resources. It was just like your own discovery. Did you have uh, an early collecting goal at that time? Uh, like, um, I I didn't see a lot of Star Wars stuff around. I went to a, my first toy show, uh, my first Star Wars themed toy show in 1992, and then really didn't go to any other toy shows until years and years later uh, because there just wasn't a lot around. And comics were very heavy. And so for me, my collecting goal as a child was to get Amazing Fantasy 15 because I saw one for $1,200 one day at a store and spent two and a half hours walking around the store in a, in a panic trying to figure out how to convince my father to purchase this <laughs> item. Um, but nice. so I was never able to reach that. And I, I you know, I always remind my, my parents kind of where the value is for it now. Um, but, right. Uh, right. <laughs> but I mean, did you have, was there anything that you looked at where you just, you know, you're laying in your bed one night and you're looking up at the ceiling and saying, Oh, I'd love to own this one day. Um, no, I mean, I guess early collecting goals, like, because we never knew what was coming. Like I, at some point I just thought that was it. And then new stuff would come out and you'd be like, oh, I want to get these ones too. So it wasn't ever like a, in my head, it was kind of a finite set that just never ended, you know, so, which makes things difficult, but. Um, right. So you weren't even thinking about vintage Star Wars at that point. You were focused solely on the Power of the Force 2 stuff. Oh man, that was so far. Like, it was like, you might as well want to collect diamonds or gold bars when I was like, like that, that's what we all envisioned was oh my God, every vintage Star Wars, every Star Wars toy we had as a kid is a million dollars and we'll never, ever, ever get that. So like, this is the next best thing. Um, and then I, I, it's kind of funny. I think like thinking back, one of the things that always stuck out to me as far as collecting and keeping things instead of just like, I was always terrible about trading or selling um, like I, I very rarely wanted to let anything go. Like I always just added, but there was, um, I don't know if you remember that show. I'm sure you do amazing stories when you were a kid yes. mm-hmm. that Steven Spielberg. So that one, I remember watching that one episode with Mark Hamill and I like, it's the only episode of amazing stories I remember. And it was called gather ye acorns. And he's like this guy that just gets a bunch of stuff. And the whole time there's this weird little troll that's sort of antagonizing him and telling him to keep his stuff. Like his, his parents want him to get a job and he doesn't, he just gathers stuff and they want him to clean out his room and throw away his stuff and he won't. And so they kick him out of the house and all that kind of stuff. And he just accumulates all this 
stuff over his entire life. And then at the very end, he's like this old withered man. That's like completely regretting his entire existence because he just spent his whole life accumulating stuff. But then at the very end, he finds out that the stuff he has is like multi-million dollar priceless. And, <laughs> you know, the the last, I think the last scene is he's, you know, walking into a, a the auction of some of his items and like a suit and a cane and um, the little like troll guy is there, like appears and he's all white haired. You know, he's aged with them and it's like this big, like I told you so moment. And for some reason, you know, in my, the back of my head, there was always that like, man, if you just hold, if you just hold on to this thing, someday you're going to be the Mark Hamill, like walking into an auction house and they're going to ask you for like $15,000 for this, <laughs> this Han Solo with a different blaster or, you know, whatever the case was. Um, but yeah, I was, that was always like, I always wanted to just, again, I didn't know what was there. So it was always just wanting to get what I could find, um, with no real plan. Like that's probably, probably the biggest downfall was I just had no plan and, you know, if I would have been more disciplined, it might've been more enjoyable longer as well. Sure. And I think you were just, as you said, at the time where, you know, if you didn't have internet or you didn't know what was coming out, you were just collecting as it was coming in. And then, you know, over time as well too, you just, you cast a, a wider net. And I, I think, I think that probably helps because it keeps things interesting and moving. Um, but I, I oh, can see sure. where, you know, if you did have maybe not so much a discipline, but more of a focus, then you'd have more of a direction that way. Right, right. And I would say the opposite is true as well, because there a really fun point in my collecting um, was when I decided to become more of a Vader focus collector too. And so you can, instead of being like an, you know, an inch deep and a mile wide, like you could really go down into the, all the cool little nuances and, um, you know, instead of having like one of every character trying to find all of the small variations from card to card of, you know, vintage Vader or whatnot. And, um, that sort of refresh things as well. Right. So you go from macro to micro and all of a sudden you're, you're caring about little details that maybe most people wouldn't even recognize. Um, and you're right. finding joy in that too. That's, that's something we as collectors love. We love those details. Um, so it, it sounds like yeah. you've had a little bit of everything too, which is nice. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> So, okay. So you didn't really have an early collecting goal. Um, but there, there's, there's a point in time where, and this happens to all of us as collectors, we start to, we start to get more of a focus, more of an understanding. We, we become more of a fuller collector. We go kind of all in and we aim for rare and more valuable items. When did that leveling up take place for you? Um, I would say like, late 2000 um i don't know how to say that like maybe 2010 2009 somewhere in there um is when i like started to realize like okay i have a job and things like that and i can afford a thing or two here of a vintage item and then um once you open up that door then you start really learning about like holy cow there's all these different card back variations that you never knew when you were a kid or you know, you get the Kellerman book, um, and then you're like, what? 
like you see all those the matrices in the back and you're like, I have no idea what any of this means <laughs> yeah. or like that this, it's this breadth and depth of, of stuff. And that was really cool. Like I, I really had a good time. Um, like I was, I'm never, I've never been very uh, tech savvy, I would say. So there was one point where I um, made just a, and I still have it, a Google doc. I just made a spreadsheet where I by hand went through the Kellerman matrix and made just this sort of like giant checklist of every possible combination um so like as i was finding things online or whatever even with the once i you know you focus on vader but then at some point you're like all right i'm down to just a handful of really rare or really expensive um you know production items that might take a decade to track down so in the meantime you're like this wicket is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it's like a 77 a, and I don't have that one, or this one has a skew sticker on the front corner, you know, and you can start filling those out and be like, Oh, that's kind of cool. I, you know, then it sort of went into, I really wanted to have one of every character. I never got into like debut card or anything like that. I wanted to have one of every character, um, carded. And then it became, I would really like to have one of every character on every, at least card back that came on. So like at least, you know, a Luke on Star Wars Empire and um, and Jedi, things like that. And then, then like, as you start this, I still have this janky Google Drive doc. And then you would fill out and you'd be like, well, I have three out of the four of these wickets. So if I could just, tr- like, track down this one more claw to, <laughs> you know, like, and you're like, oh, let me, let me get this weak way that doesn't. And that was a lot of fun to me. Like, they're not overly valuable or anything like that, but that, that was a really fun um, sort of point in my collecting as well. Like appreciating things that most people don't when you're like this mint, this vintage carded toy cost me like $65 because nobody cares about it, but it's really satisfying to like go into my spreadsheet and, you know, type in a little why there was a box where I would type why if I had it. And then, um, you know, like a brief, sort of description like a crease by the hang tab yellow bubble kind of a thing and i would you know I'd have it on my phone and type in the little thing and i'd be like ah one more i got that one more done and then it would ultimately just sort of end up in a stack you know <laughs> like on the floor of a star wars storage room um but but it was fun yeah and I, i've done something similar to you where um i I decided long ago that I wanted to collect for as long as possible. So my goal has been to collect every single carded figure for all of the subbacks. So 65A, B, C, D, uh, 77A, B, like that. And it's probably never going to happen, but you're right. Like it does start to accumulate, but there is something really exciting about checking off one of those, especially one of the ones that are maybe harder to find. Um, for sure 65 c's or even even the d's um so so you were doing this so you had a vader focus and you were also expanding into just collecting whichever carded figures you could find yep yep it got it got real slippery real fast yeah at the height of it what was the the most amount of carded figures you had um so I think what I've given to the auction house is like in the fives, 500 and something um, vintage carded between Vader and everything else. Wow. I think like oh in those U.S., um, other 
um, you know, foreign carded. Like I had no focus, man. <laughs> I would see something cool and I'd be like, it's a really cool like language on that thing. And I'm going to grab that and just put it on a shelf where it doesn't match, doesn't belong anywhere. Or like a, uh, you know, Sakuda run. I was like, I'm going to finish this Sakuda run. <laughs> yeah, that's and, a, That can be tough. Yeah. That can be very tough. Yeah. But I did it. I did it. Congratulations. How long did it take you to do the Sakuda run? Um, it took a while. It, it definitely took a while. And then I guess when I say the Sakuda run too, because you get all the ones that are absolutely positively known to be stickered, but then you find out that there's ones that, um, you know, might've been on a 65 B as well as an A or an A as well as a B and things like that. And you're like, uh, should I try to track those down too? But, um, actually one of the very last ones that I got was Vader. Um, ironically, like he was my, in my focus, but trying to track down. And, uh, I think he's in this, this auction, the, um, I was able to track down a 90, a buddy, somebody approached me and was like, Hey, I have this AFA 90 one. If you're interested in, I was like, I am absolutely interested in that. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I forget the exact total five, something five thirty something is in storage somewhere with Hakes at this, at this point. Did you, um, along the way, did you have a, a favorite Vader piece and a favorite non Vader piece as far as the cartridge figures went? Um, yes. Man, that's tough. Um, the Vader pieces were really, there was a lot of really cool. I think I always um, enjoyed more of the the foreign um, items with Vader just because like that was something that I never saw in person. You know, until you get into the collecting realm, like you don't see a weird clipper wraparound sticker in languages that you don't recognize you know, and I always like that. Or the, um, man, I really loved the, like the seven inch Takara because it was just so much like bigger and more impressive in my opinion than, you know, when it, especially when it's next to like three and three quarter inch, you're like, man, the Japanese had it right. Like that's a really, that's a really cool scale to have a, um, a figure in. Yeah. I always loved that one. Um, and then I, one of the, my favorite, um, Vader pieces I don't think it's, it's not super rare or anything, but it was one of the coolest collecting moments that I had because I had just started getting into, um, like I still had my Vader focus and, you know, you get most of sort of the U S type stuff first and then you, um, like expand. And I was going, learning about tri logos, like, um, Joe's amazing tri logo site and all the different bubble variations and card bag variations. And I remember I had a buddy at the time that lived in San Diego and, uh, I forget, uh, in his career or whatever, like he was always getting, um, you know, freebies or invites from vendors and things like that. And he was able to get like passes, um, to the Comic-Con and he was like, Hey, I got passes at the Comic-Con for free. If you want to come check it out. And I was like, sure. Like I'd never been. Um, so we were walking around there and there was a Vader, a tri-logo just sort of sitting like on a peg or whatever. And I, grabbed it and i the only thing i remember is i was like i don't know exactly what but this seems like it's different than any other one that i've seen and so i bought it and then i remember being like in the parking lot trying to research it and it was a uh, it wasn't like overly exciting it was uh one of the skinnier um meccano bubble ones like that square real thin bubble and that was the thing that set it off 
but I was so proud that I was like, I found something, you know, just on a shelf that people didn't realize was different than all the other tri logos. And it was such a cool thing to put in because I was like, I wasn't even sure this existed until I started Googling it. And I always really liked that, that piece. Um, it's really cool. And it's then, nice when there's a story behind something like that as well, too, where you can you can match it to the day that you got it and where you were. Right. Totally. Um, Non-Vader piece. Um, that's a tough one. There's some cool ones that just have sentimental value for one reason or the other. Um, I would say um, the Boba Fett. The, there's a, a 21 back a Boba Fett in the auction this time. Um, and I, I really like it's, I think it graded at like a 60, like it's nothing to write home about. It's, you know, it's an older Boba Fett, but Boba Fett was one of those two that I was always like, that's probably going to be one of the last ones that I'll ever get because that, that premium on anything Boba Fett is just so enormous that I was like, do I really want to spend money on that? As opposed to, you know, like I could get a proof card or something along those lines. And so I wasn't really sure. And I remember just being up like super early in the morning on eBay, cruising eBay and somebody had one up for like a buy it now that was actually reasonable. Cause I don't think they realized, I mean, it wasn't like a hundred bucks or anything like that, but I want to say it was like eight or $900 or something like that. And I was like, this could very well be fake, but I'm just going to jump on it, <laughs> you know, and make sure just in case. And it, you know, it came and it was all legit. I, triple checked it to make sure it wasn't like a reseal or anything like that. And, um, I was really excited about that one because it was, again, Boba Fett was one of those where I was like, there's so much other stuff I'd rather spend my money on, but it'll always bother me that I don't own like a single carded Boba Fett. And so being able to find one without paying the, like the crazy premium, um, I always liked that one too. And Matt George and I, we did a, a 10 episode series on the 2022 March Hakes auction last year. And we were, you know, every time we've had a discussion about the Boba Fett's that turned up, a lot of times the ones that turn up are the 21 B's and the 21 A's are so much rarer. And so you, you know, even at a 60, like it's just so rare to see one at auction or to find one for sale. So, um, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, again, another good story, a great pickup. I, I love those early morning pickups. I had a number of them, including a boxed sealed slave one at some point. And you just, nice. you never forget those. There's always something really yep. exciting, especially when you get right. it at a value. Yeah. You're sure it's, you're going to get burned and you're just like prepared <laughs> to ship it back. But it's that like, let's roll the dice and hope for the, hope for the best kind of a thing. It comes through and it's just, you know, it's another kind of, you know, you're checking off another box and it's a really exciting one. So, yep. I think uh, actually with that one too, that was one of the ones that I remember sending pictures of it to Jeff Ectoncamp because I was like, you know more about card backs and variations and everything than any human I've ever met. <laughs> like, does this look, am I missing something? Does this look like legit? Does the, like the gloss look right? Does the bubble look right? Does it? And he was like, I think that's, I think you're good, man. And I was so excited that somebody, not me, you know, <laughs> sort of, um, reiterated that it was a, a legitimate one Absolutely. so thanks jeff if you're listening to this sorry about all the early morning facebook <laughs> message pictures we love you jeff we really do i talk to <laughs> jeff all the time and and yeah his his collection is astounding and it's nice i've always felt like in our community we have 
people who who have all these interests and who have such knowledge and it's just so nice to be able to to tap into that in a very organic way where you're just you're either calling up a friend or you're messaging them and, and asking them questions and you know I I've always seen it where people are more than happy to help um, especially when they know that the collector on the other end of the question is is someone who you know genuinely cares about the stuff so uh, it's always nice to 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 do that, and I'm sure you've helped people over the years as well too with the knowledge that you've gained. Um, yeah, on occasion, uh, sometimes sometimes I do know something. Um, many times I'll be like, "You should totally ask Jeff," <laughs> but but there are plenty <laughs> of times that um, when I have been like, "No, that one came on this one," or like, "Look for this kind of a thing if you're wanting to see if it does it have this weird you know nuance," and that's a good tell of if it's been resealed or not, or if it came on that card or not, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. What's been your connection to the community? Um, do you do any of the in-person meetups? Are you part of any clubs or is it mostly more of the online conversations, telephone conversations, things like that, building friendships that way? Um, I'm sort of a chronic lurker. I do chime in with a like a complete smart ass comment every now and again. Um, but I am kind of remote. Like there's no, there's a really cool um, group of guys down in Phoenix, you know, uh, like uh, Tim Eckholt and Andrew Davis and Paul Konatsky and uh, Brandon Vice and Don Henderson um, that will get together and they're always inviting me. It's just hard because it's like a couple hour drive away. So it has to be um, a time when I can get down there. I've been fortunate enough to been able to, to go down there on occasion. And um, man, those guys are awesome. Like you get to tour some of the, they'll be like, Hey, come over and we'll, I'll show you my collection. And you're like, that's amazing. Like I didn't know this thing existed and you have it. On yeah. The um, they, so they have some of the most incredible cool. collections going, especially, you know, with, with a vintage and modern star Wars. And yet they're some of the nicest guys in our community and in the hobby. Uh, and it's just, it's, oh, yeah. it's wonderful to, totally. to see that. So I'm glad you get to, to you know that you've had the chance to visit them and to spend time with them that way. For sure. For sure. And then I, I, the last several celebrations, I think the first one I went to was five celebration five in Orlando. And I've been to everyone since and um, been able to network and hang out with people to differing degrees. Then it all just depends on like, you know, sometimes it's been tough when your kids decide that it's meltdown time at, <laughs> you know, 10 o'clock at night during room sales when you're like, sure. I really want this thing. <laughs> and now I can't buy it because you've decided that you are done and we got, we got to yes. get out of here. But, um, uh, yeah, as much as possible then. Yeah. But it's fun. Um, is there, is there a favorite aspect to the collecting community for you? Um, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche and trite, but I really have had some fun. Um, like, building relationships and conversations and all that, getting to know people. Um, like that's a really cool, I, it's kind of funny. Like the people, when people found out that I decided to just get out of it, they were like, well, we're going to mission. I'm like, no, nah, I plan on going to all the same stuff. It's just a different <laughs> uh, mindset where I'm not like looking for something in particular or, you know, trying to sell something or buy something. It's just a, going to be a much different, um, experience, but I, I totally plan on going to, um, future celebrations and meetups and all that kind of good stuff. 
Um, I'm so happy to hear that. We have a number of friends in our collecting community who have gone through what you've gone through. They've, they've sold off their stuff where they're not currently collecting. And yet they'll go on hikes with us when we do our Empire State Club meetups over here on the East Coast or, you know, they'll, they'll show up at Cincinnati or, um, or, or Celebration or something like that. So they're still, they're still completely entwined into the, the community, but they're just, they're just not actively collecting. Totally. Yeah, I would love to. Cincinnati is on the short list and, and Kane County um, are the two like that. I've, I've never had a chance to go and I would I still plan on someday just going just to experience the. The the experience there, like seeing a booth with amazing prototype stuff that was all harvested <laughs> right there locally, you know, homegrown. Um, but yeah, I plan on you guys are kind of stuck with my crap. For the, for the foreseeable future. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. You know what? So one of my one of my plans for this year, this coming year, is to go to Kane County because I've never been there, or to Xenia, the Xenia Toy Show. Um, so hopefully, I'll run into you at the at the uh, at the Kane County show. We can hang out a little bit. I would love that. One of these days, man. One of these days, <laughs> I will be there. It always. Uh, it's, um, I think Cincinnati's always in October, as it well, is. if I remember right. And uh, that's right around when my birthday is. So there's been a couple of years it's been really close where I've been like, hey, honey, you know what would be cool for my birthday? Like a plane ticket. But it just hasn't ever come up to fruition because of just scheduling and, you know, other obligations and stuff. But yeah, one day, one day I'll be there. Okay. Well, um, this weekend is the Cincinnati Toy Show. So if you decide very, very last minute to jump on a plane and fly out there, uh, that's always an option too. Nice. Sweet. (laughs) Um, so the collecting community is a wonderful place. And then there are also some negative aspects to it. Like there would be for any community or any group. Um, and I, you know, collectors I've spoken to over the years, sometimes that's been the driving force that kind of pushes them away from collecting. Um, was, was there anything like that for you or was the decision more just a personal one? No, it was, I mean, there are definitely things that in the just overall collecting and that's across anything like comic books or whatever that have really like rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but that wasn't any sort of deciding factor because when it comes down to it, like you can always just tune that stuff off and just be in your own personal bubble of enjoyment and whatever you want to do. Um, so I, that, that wasn't a factor. There was lots of factors, but, um, that wasn't, wasn't one of them um if you want me to go down the that rabbit hole a bit the i think the thing that bothers me the most about especially modern collecting and the or not not collecting modern but i mean collecting in the modern world and the like all of the platforms we have to, between social media and online auctions and um, all that kind of stuff is there's just um there tends to be a group or individuals that for whatever reason will just forget that they were ever a new person. And it drives me absolutely crazy. Like somebody will be like, Hey, I found this in, you know, my childhood, a box from my childhood stuff from when I was a kid. Like, I have no idea what this is. Is it cool? Is it, and people will jump on them. And like, you know, the first thing they say is, Google, have you ever heard of Google? Like that drives me crazy because we were all at some point, like we were like the, you know, why does this Chewbacca have green arms? You know, like things like that. And um, like, fortunately that there were people that were like, oh, this is like, 
a resource or if you go here, here's a really cool website you can go to, or that's a common thing. It's just like a discoloration or, you know, whatever the case may be, but it seems like more and more there's this, um, almost like an elitist attitude, um, amongst some people. And it's even, it doesn't even necessarily need to be like a long-term collector. It can be somebody that just started a year ago, but it's like, if I know more now in the year, I'm going to try to make you feel bad for not knowing what I didn't know a year ago. And that's always rubbed me the wrong way. Like, um, you know, I, even selfishly, like if, if people just sort of think about it, like all of us, as far as, I mean, there's, if you collect something, there's, there's the joy aspect of it of, but then, I mean, the, you can't separate out just the value aspect of it too. Right. Like at some point there's, there's some sort of benefit or good feeling about like, wow, this piece is valuable. But if we crap on every new person that tries to join the hobby, who's going to buy our stuff? <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's yeah. always been, it's always been weird to me that like, like you, you don't want it to be a finite population. Like you always want it to be growing because ultimately like you're going to need to pass it on to somebody. And if there's nobody left to pass it on to, because you've just alienated every new person, um, then it's kind of, it's always been kind of a weird scene to me, but, um, having said all that rambling statement, like that had nothing to do with, um, when I decided to, to get out. Sure. I know. And that, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm glad the community overall has been a very positive experience for you. Cause I think, I think it is so rich and so dynamic and there's so many wonderful people in it who are creative, really funny, uh, inspiring and, and, and the knowledge that is within our community, you know, that we had to really get ourselves by digging and, and figuring things out and taking the time to study the details. Uh, like you mentioned before, I, I, I think, um, it's really made this hobby, this thriving living thing. And we want to keep it that way. So, um, totally right. Going towards your decision now. So you would, you would hit a point. Was there a point where collecting lost its, its luster for you? Um, or where it, it started to either become less appealing overall, or maybe feel like a burden? Yes. Um, all of the above. Um, I would say, so it's, it's been like several years in the making. I've been having discussions with like my family and my kids and, um, just my, you know, personally, you know, what I get out of it. And it got to the point where I, I would accumulate stuff, but I just wasn't enjoying it. Um, you know, like you would, you get for me anyway, it would be like, it became almost a stressor. Like, okay, I have this stuff, but it's literally, um, so in my house I have a, we call it the star Wars room. Oh, I call it the Darthanon. Um, but it's like this room that was just sort of this extra room that had built in shelves and stuff. And when we first bought the house years and years ago, it sort of became my de facto star Wars room. Um, and you would open the door and it would just, at this point, it would just be like stacks of stuff. Um, you know, not being displayed, not being enjoyed, not being, um, really, yeah, just enjoyed. Like it would just, I'd be like, oh, that was a really cool thing. I'm going to deal with this at some point. Like someday I'm going to, you know, redo this room. I'm going to redo some shelving. I'm going to, um, you know, do all the things that I, I wanted to curate, but it just, it never came to fruition. And then it, you get to the point where it's just like the, um, the, I think the word you used was burden. And yes. it, that's, that was a great word uh, because it was almost like a, 
stressor and I kind of felt not kind of, it was almost a feeling of guilt. Like, man, I have this crazy cool, like this thing that I got from a really good friend and it's in a box under three other boxes. Um, you know, like the funny part too, is if a couple of years ago we had, um, like our house was needed new windows and new siding put on it. And so in the, the Darthanon, there was a window. And so for the contract to do, I had to like pull everything off of the shelves that was in that, um, you know, adjacent to that window so that he could put in the window, et cetera. And so it all just kind of got piled in the room. And like, that was two years ago. And like, it's, it's still the same. Like when you walked in, I was like, I haven't touched this stuff in two, like it hasn't mattered enough to me to like, or I haven't had the time and prioritized it enough to put it back and, you know, even just the way it was and enjoy it and all that kind of good stuff. Right. And life carries on elsewhere, right? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you get to a point where it's like, um, man, do I want to go to my kid's basketball game or do I want to spend these couple of hours cataloging and reorganizing this stuff, you know, and you have to sort of make those decisions and, um, you know, and then there, there was just like a lot of other sort of outlying factors. I would say one of the things too, is I got to the point where I was like, what if, you know, I walked down the street today and got hit by a bus or something, you know, God forbid, like I, I really didn't want it to be a burden on my family too, you know, like it gets to the point and you hear all the stories of like, you know, this auction of this amazing collection is going to happen in a garage because, you know, this people's, this guy's or gal's family has no idea what to do with it. So they're just liquidating it and it becomes more of a hassle, you know, even like, so I'm a, I'm a realtor. And a couple of years ago, I helped a, a client who like they inherited, it's pretty common. You like a, um, a son or daughter inherits the property of a you know a, a parent the, where the the last parent has passed away and they go to their house and they're like my father or mother collected dolls and like i have no idea what to do with this thousand things because they don't mean anything to me they meant a lot to them and like what do you do with it and um then it becomes like estate sales and all of that and um i didn't want to in the back of my mind too i was like I feel like I have some good stuff and I don't want that to happen. If I would like my family to benefit from it, if anything ever happened to me, instead of just having to it be a burden that they have to liquidate or, you know, they just, you know, like the perfect example is a proof card, you know, to the, the lay person, like that's literally just looks like leftover packaging that should be thrown away. But, you know, to us, it's like, that's a several thousand dollar item because it was a pre-production you know, proof card that was, but it's just in a top loader in a box that, that nobody would know about. Um, so then I went through this whole process of like, okay, I can still do both, right. You know, like I can enjoy it, but I can leave it less of a burden on my family. So I, like, I became a member of CAS and I was like, I'm going to start just shipping everything that I have to them for no reason other than, you know, it'll be authenticated. It'll be labeled. So like, if something did happen to me, like that's a much different and easier process for my family. Um, you know, where it's like, here's the label, here's the, I like the identifying features of it. Here's the approximate condition. And if they needed to sell it, you know, they would be able to, um, relatively easy, easily. But then it gets to the point where that was, that was a stressor. Like you do a couple of batches and they're like, Oh my God, I didn't even make like a dent in this, like this stuff that I, that I have just laying around in boxes. And then, 
Um, and it's it's incredibly expensive too. I mean, I don't think people realize, but now you know, I mean, it can cost you know seventy, a hundred, or more to to send in some of the carded figures, and and even the, you yeah. know the loose figures are, are right around you know fifty, seventy, a hundred somewhere in there. So. Right, and the shipping back and forth, and um, you know, being where I'm at, there's never like a an opportunity to have a, a a show where I can go and drop some off to save on those shipping costs and you know things like that. So. Um, that was another kind of a thing where I was like, I'm going to curate. But then you realized, at least I did very quickly. I was like, this is I like, I have to quit my job. I, I would have to just change careers and become a professional, um, like send in authenticator, um, yes. to do. And then that became just an additional thing. And then, you know, one of the other things, so I, I mentioned, we live up here in the mountains and, um, you know, like many places in the American West, um, in 2019, we had a uh, forest fire just a couple of like, I mean, like we were watching it from my porch to see if it was going to come over the mountain. And we were put on the, the status where we weren't evacuated. It was the status before. So like, you know, I had a, a really good friend that lived on the other side of town and he was like, you can put stuff in my garage if you want. And so, you know, my mad scramble was taking bankers boxes and just putting some items in in my panic and taking like a carload over there and then after the fact i was like it was kind of hilarious because i was like the stuff that i took over there was literally just the first stuff i saw and there was way better stuff that i should have tried to protect and save you know in the in the event of of an emergency like that and i was like do i want that you know that other sort of just worry of you know what happens if you know fire or flood um damage this stuff and I got it all for not. And then, you know, your homeowner's insurance is always a fun kind of a thing to deal with. And, you know, there's the collector's insurance that you get additionally, but then it's like, okay, now I still have to go through and appraise every item. And it just became this big daunting kind of a thing. And um, then it's just a scale, you know, you just weigh is the joy that I would get in the, out of the work in doing that more than just letting something go. Um, and, you know, letting it go was the winner for sure. And I honestly feel like really it's been this weird sort of um, like Zen moment too, where I feel like a sense of relief that I'm like, all right, it, I know it's going to go to cool places and other people are going to enjoy it. And I don't have to like do all of that stuff. I don't have to, you know, pack and ship and label and, um, you know, take just more time out of career and family and all that to deal with it. So it's, yeah, it's a, a very weird feeling to see your items up there, but it's also a cool feeling to know that, you know, somebody else that is actually going to enjoy it and be able to put it on a shelf or, you know, have a story behind it or appreciate it more than I was able to. And this is, this is really why I wanted to talk to you because I think what you're experiencing is something that a lot of us, I would say most collectors experience and it is, it is dealing with that burden because when when things are are new and fresh and really exciting and you're starting off small, it's not a big deal. You're accumulating, you're you're taking an active role in building up a collection. And then when you start to really get into that rhythm and you're bringing in higher end pieces and you're paying more money and then you start to look at things like preservation and grading um where that becomes a financial burden. Um and then you start weighing it against 
you know, the, the time that you can spend either with your collection or in the community or around your, your friends that are, that are, that live, you know, around you as well as your family. Um, and then just the idea that, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I look at the, the carded, you know, vintage figures that I have and the bubbles could fall off at any time. They could yellow at any time. Something could fall off a shelf. Um, I spoke with a, a friend from Canada last year. His name is Paul McGuire, and I met him through the the Hakes auction. Um, he he had put up, I think, a hundred carded figures into the March Hakes auction, and um, he did it because he had accidentally bumped into. Uh, he was showing a friend a, a twenty thousand dollar Yak Face carded figure, Power of the Force Yak Face, and he bumped into it or dropped it and and basically it it dropped and it broke you know the the figures smashed through the bubble and he looked at the stuff and he said okay this is all finite and i could sell all this and i can do something really spectacular for my family and i think in a lot of ways you know collecting was fun for him um through those years he really enjoyed it and then saw that he could do something different with it in this next phase of his life and it sounds like you guys are kind of on a similar path Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess the other thing too, there's a certain, like a level of irresponsibility that I felt too. Um, because I really do treasure this stuff and the collectors and the cool stories behind it and all of the, you know, the research and everything that goes into all of this stuff over the years and all the, so many people came way before me and did all that like the, the collector's archive and all of that. And then I was just like, it seems almost irresponsible to be like, Hey, I got this thing that I'll just tuck away, you know? And like, is that really, you know, like, and again, I'm, I'm up here remote. So it's not like people are coming over and I can, it's super funny when you have people come over that have no idea and you're trying to, <laughs> you know, you can tell right away. Like when you start, you're like, yeah, this one's really cool because if you look at the footer, it has a skew on there. Like, what the hell are you talking? You're like, we're moving on. Like, these are Star Wars toys. There's some comic books over there. Like, let's go have one. You know, like absolutely. And so it be- it became sort of like a funny, uh, not kind of a funny because it was absolutely a panicked moment when uh, um, I was dealing with Hakes. Kelly um, McLean actually came out um, and helped me sort of choose what to do or what to put in the auction and helped pack it up and all that, get it ready. And like, there was one point where I was helping him pack up stuff. And, um, like I could not find, I was like, I have vintage first shots that I can't find. <laughs> like, I don't even know there's like, there is a box somewhere here that I need to send with Kelly <laughs> that I don't remember where I put it. And I'm like opening every banker's box and like digging through stuff and like at one point, like my wife was upstairs and I, cause it was a, he came on the weekend. It was like a Saturday and I went up there and I was like, I can't find this box. And like, I, I think there's probably a good 20 to $25,000 worth of stuff in it. And I have no idea like what the hell happened to it. And that was like the, the icing on the cake for me of like this, you are absolutely making the right decision because that should never be a conversation that anybody has with something like that's just irresponsible. I, I found it, you know, spoiler alert. Like luckily, like before he left, I was like, Oh, I found it. So like in the way back underneath and there was something on it that made me just glance over it and miss it. But 
like there was this probably three or four hours of my life where I was just like, like ghost face. Oh my right, gosh. You, you lost like, a car at I that just, point. Yeah. Like I just cost my family that much money that like I could be, you know, putting into savings for a kid or buying, you know, college fund or, you know, whatever. And I was like, um, but that, that was a big sort of, um, factor in it too is just i felt this weird sort of irresponsibility of like you know this this stuff i've enjoyed it but it definitely deserves to be in better homes that still has that passion for it too that's one of the reasons why i do this podcast because i think there there needs to be a healthy balance um between collecting and and you know our our hobby and and you know life itself and and you want to you want to keep it so that it it does stay enjoyable um and i think i think a lot of times people don't talk about the mental burden of collecting that we we sort of pile on ourselves or or that we accumulate so much and we get so deep into the stuff that um we start to put these outside stresses upon ourselves that that really really shouldn't be there um, so it right. sounds like you, you dealt with it in a very healthy way and you dealt with it over time as well. Um, I know you posted on August 11th, you posted to, to our community groups that, um, that you were boxing up everything. You shared a picture, um, of the, of the, your collection in boxes. And then, um, that Hakes had come to collect and to help, uh, you know, box everything and, and, and move it, um, so that was August 11th. When did you make the official decision that you were getting rid of everything? Um, it actually happened pretty quickly. Like I contacted Hakes, I want to say in July and was like, Hey, I'm like, I'm considering letting things go. And then we started the conversation of like, you know, what the process looks like and well, can you send me a list of some of the items that you have? And um, so I, you know, I sent Kelly like some photos in a quick video walkthrough of some things and, um, it all happened pretty quickly. Like, but I, there was a lot of, there was a lot of time before, like I sent that email that was, you know, in discussing and deciding. And then when I made the final decision, I was like, I'm sent the email, like, let's see what happens. And, um, yeah, yeah. It all, I mean, big credit to Hakes. Like they, are fantastic. Like it was really great working with Kelly and they um, did a really good job and very thorough and very quick to respond. And, um, it, you know, I, I had to do very little, it took a big responsibility and burden off of me to deal with it. So. Hmm. Um, so, so why then I think you've alluded to it right there, but why did you choose to go the route of, a big auction house like like Hakes instead of selling it through say like eBay or you know through the different collecting groups like what was the um what was what was the decision like to to go with Hakes um it was mostly the time um like if because i had been saying for years you know oh i can get through like i can do this i can just list one or two things you know a week or whatever and and it just never happened because it's just too time consuming. Like I, I did sell a lot of modern stuff. Um, but I, the only reason I through eBay, but I actually, um, I have a, my teenage son, um, took it on. Like I essentially paid him a commission. I was like, here's the items. Um, like I'll answer questions that you have, but he set up all the little, it was kind of his summer job. He did all the photography and, um, 
like set up an eBay account and package and ship it, that kind of a thing. So I was able to do some stuff that way, but I just wanted it to be done and not have to do. Cause if, in my mind, I was like, if I could have done that realistically, I would have already done it, but it's just so hard to, um, you know, and to do it correctly where you're prompt and you can get back to people and you can get things shipped quickly. And, um, you know, you're constantly trying to find supplies and answering questions and all that. And I was like, if I trust them, cause I'd, I'd bought from Hakes before, um, a couple of items over the years. And, um, I knew that they would do a good job with the, just the photography and promoting and marketing. But the big thing too, is just the, the handling, like it was really nice to just be, you know, it's a, it's gone and I don't have to think about it anymore. Right. And again, you're in a sense quitting cold Turkey rather than trying to piece off everything slowly and, um, and having to right. deal with that and having to deal with the shipping. And, and as you said, they came out to you, right? Yep. Yep. He came out and then they, um, packed it all. Like at one, there was a day that there was a big pallet of shipping supplies that arrived in my driveway and, um, then he was out the next day and we packed it all up. And then, um, just two or three days later, uh, like a, they arranged for a transport to come and, um, like a secured, it was very secure. They were, uh, like retired police officers that were armed and, you know, just in case and loaded it all up. And it was a straight shot to, to Hakes to ver you know, just to make sure that it was, there was no chance of, you know, robbery or break in or you know car wreck or anything like that and yeah i was i was very impressed they did kelly and those guys do a really great job i'm really glad to hear that and i'm glad to hear that all of this has been a really good experience for you so far um i, I think it's going to get exciting now as we get into you know the actual auction itself uh, which is coming up very shortly um what would you say was the toughest part of your decision though um I mean, I think just like acknowledging that the enjoyment wasn't there when it's such a large, like part of your life for so long, you know, like it, you do have to just sort of mentally come around to the fact of like, this was an amazing period of my life, but it's not what it used, you know, like there needs to be a next step. Um, so just coming to that conclusion and it, it i mean it was definitely sentimental like when we were packing up stuff you know he'd be like oh where did that come from and i'd be like oh man my buddy you know got that for me or you know led me to that one and i traded or i helped him get this thing when he was looking for it or you know there was definitely some like sentimental portion of it as well um but yeah i think that was just the hardest part was just once you make is just coming to the conclusion that this was the right thing to do. And I totally don't regret it. Like I'm excited to move on to a new chapter. Did you keep any particular items for yourself or did you just get rid of everything? Um, so there are items that I, there's a lot, actually there's a lot of stuff that I still have that just, um, you know, more modern stuff and stuff that isn't necessarily auction worthy or, um, but I didn't keep, well, I take that back. So there was, there was, this is a really strange story. Um, and I didn't keep them, but they didn't go to Hakes. But, um, so when I was, um, in 
junior in high school, like I live in a small town again. And one of my brothers, my brother's like best friend. Um, he was one of the guys that like we collected with, like we would all end up at Walmart and try to find the at at driver, you know, like the, the silly power of the force two type stuff. But um, like out of nowhere, we got notified that he had passed away. Like something had happened. It's still to this day. We don't exactly know what happened, but something happened. Um, violence, you know, like he, he died of a gunshot wound and with all of these suspicious circumstances. And that was a big, strange kick in the gut um, when, you know, my brother and I found out about that, especially my brother was his best friend. And um, anyway, years later, like, God, I want to say it was five or six years ago from now. So it had to be 20 years after that. There was like somebody tagged me in a Facebook post of somebody local selling like some random Star Wars. Like, you know, you know how that is once people know that you um, collect Star Wars items, like they think that you are interested in every single Star Wars item that ever comes across Facebook Marketplace. And it's, yes. you know, you're the, the catch on that. Yes. Um, and like somebody posted a photo and there was most of it was modern, but there was a couple of vintage items that looked like. So I messaged the guy and um, we went back and forth and I was like, yeah, can I come look at it? And I went there and I didn't realize until I got there that it was like, it was our buddy's older brother um, that had passed away. And like, it was sort of his remnants of his collection that they still had. And I was like, Holy cow, man. Like I, that's your mom and dad. Like I'm, you know, I like, I'm Tad. I was his buddy and, you know, like my brother and him and he knew exactly who I was. And, um, it was this really strange moment. And so, um, you know, of course I, I was like, I'll give you whatever you want. Like this has to stay like, I really want this, um, stuff. It has a, just a whole other layer of sentimental value and, um, nothing. I mean, it was like some return of the Jedi carded stuff. I don't think there was anything that was worth even to this day, more than like 75 or a hundred dollars, you know, like super basic stuff. But man, I got that stuff home and I put it in acrylic cases immediately. Um, and I had it on a shelf, like its own dedicated shelf, um, in my, my collecting room. And then that was one of the first things I did when I talked to Hakes, um, and you know, Kelly came, I was like everything, but this shelf, you can have anything you want, but this one shelf. And I, I packed it all up and I sent it to my brother just with a note and was like, you know, this needs to stay with us. And, um, so that's, that's, it's not with me, but that's definitely something that like, no, no dollar amount or no, there was no other home it deserved to be in or would get the, the respect and the memories that it meant to us. So that's all at my brother's house now. Yeah. And it needs to stay with you and your family. And I love hearing those stories. I think those are more special than any of the, you know, the, the crazy items that, that we could talk about or, you know, the prototypes and, and things like that. When you have, when you have pieces that have a history like that and are connected through friendships, especially those early years, I mean, you know, I'm glad that um, that you're able to to keep that and to share that with your brother. I think that was a really smart decision. 
Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, I mean, I guess other than that, like, you know, I talked about when we were just packing stuff up, there was, it was really hard, man. Like there was, there was a lot of sentimental value attached to all of it, but I came to the conclusion that I was like, if I kept like every item that had meaning to me, I would sell nothing because, you know, like a good buddy gave me this or sold me this or gave me first dips on this, or, you know, this was an item that like I bought from a buddy and then because they're amazing, they, I opened up the box and this bonus gift was in here because he knew I would like it. Um, but I was like, I, I just can't, you get to a point where I was like, if, if there's so many stories here that if I, if I didn't let, just let go that I, I wouldn't let go of any of it, you know, like everything has a story to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, I don't think I don't plan on keeping anything. Yeah. Just want to see it. I, I think the thing I'm most excited about is I hope that somehow I get to find out about where some of it goes. You know, like it would be my ultimate like dream is if I end up at some, you know, collector get together or whatever, and I fly out because I'm finally, you know, have time to go to a collector's meetup or whatever. And we're touring somebody's collection. I'm like, I used to have that. Like, that's really cool that that's in your collection now and you're telling me about it and, you know, you appreciate it the way it should be appreciated. Um, like that's my ultimate dream. Whether or not that happens, I mean, you can't control who buys it for all. I know somebody could buy something and it ends up in the bottom of a box in their star, star Wars room that they feel irresponsible about. But, um, you know, hopefully it does end up in better you know, moves on and sort of carries on traditions the way it, it should. Well, we've, we've definitely seen a lot of magical and amazing stuff happen within our community and our, our hobby. So I, I do hope you have those moments. I love also that you want to still stay a part of the community and attend, you know, the in-person meetups. I think they're very important. And especially after what we went through during the pandemic, I think they've grown even more important. Um, I would love to invite you out to, um, to some of the Empire State Club meetups that we have and some of the, we have the Northeast group here, the Pennsylvania Club, the DC Club, uh, the Ohio group. We have a lot in, in this region. Um, so I will always keep you in mind and I'll, I'll always you know extend the invite. And if you're ever able to come out to something like one of the annual events that we produce or anything like that, I, I think you'd have a really good time there. Yes, please do. Please do. It's on the bucket list to, to start freeing up time to do that kind of stuff. Well, Tad, I'm really glad we got a chance to talk today about this. Um, I know we have so much more to discuss, uh, so we'll we'll do that, um, you know, in a second conversation coming up. Um, but I'm just, it, it was so wonderful discussing this with you, um, and just to get a sense of of how you're feeling about it, um, the decisions you made, and and why, um, and how really that's going to to benefit your life and, and and your family as well. So the next time we talk, we'll go into a little bit of the Hakes auction itself. And then I'd like to hear some of your thoughts about selling, you know, at this time, um, in, in this, in this moment as well too. But, um, anyway, it was an absolute blessing talking to you today. Um, if you were going to, um, if you were going to leave us with three things that you learned as a collector and you were going to share them with maybe a newer collector, what would you say to them? Um, 
three things I would just say collect. It's hard to, I guess, put it into words, but if I could do something over, I would try not to be a collector as more as I would try to be a curator. Um, because I think ultimately you'll always get more enjoyment out of having a smaller sample of things that you really enjoy than just the accumulation of things. Um, and I would say to a newer collector as well, um, there's always going to be sort of the folks that don't want to help, but there's for every one of those people, I'm sure there are 10 that would love to help you. So, um, don't get jaded. Don't get, um, you know, pessimistic about the hobby, about what, if you really love it, like you will find like-minded people that love it as well. And, um, just, just keep trying to find those people that you can really connect with. Was that, that was just two. I'm terrible at math too. That's why I'll tell you though, those are, those are two really heartfelt and thoughtful piece of pieces of advice that I think a lot of times we just, we forget or we just overlook. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you, you point out a lot of the special stuff within collecting within our community. And I think a lot of people can learn from the, the three decades long journey that you've just been, been on and, and have experienced, um, I'm really thankful to to know you, and I'm glad that I'm you know that our friendship will continue beyond the the collecting, which is great. Um, but For so sure. I I look forward to our next conversation too. I think um, we're going to have some really uh, interesting things to unpack. I want to hear more about the items that are going to be in in this uh, upcoming Hakes auction um, that you are parting with. So. Tad, awesome. it, it was so wonderful talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, thanks for having me. This was great. It was almost like therapy. Thanks for helping me work <laughs> through all of my decisions and reasoning. It was great. Well, and, and hey, you know what? That's honestly, I mean, that's what we collectors do for one another. Um, we we right. kind of, you know, we, we come to each other with these questions and these bigger ideas as well as, you know, some of the smaller stuff. And um, a lot of times it, it takes a, a friend and a fellow collector to give us a, a different sort of perspective. So, yeah, totally. Awesome. All right. Well, here's to the next conversation, Tad. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.